Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to the NXT review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblow and Michael Sidgwick, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT, Raw, and SmackDown, but also AEW, Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week completes with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review NXT and whisper it, Michael Hamlet. But has NXT got its groove back? Uh, enough. Enough to not, like, make it this, like, detestable, sludgy two hours. Um, I've enjoyed, at a certain distance, every NXT since the Tuesday move. Um, I'd be lying to myself. I said part of that wasn't because of the day of the week move, because of the... Like yeah. the forcing of how much wrestling we need to watch. So, uh, like, that's kind of like that's slanting my critical view on it slightly. But I think the shows, this show felt certainly quite fast moving. Um, I didn't love all of it, but I liked plenty of it. And my overarching takeaway, like, seems to now be like this show desperately, desperately needs out of the Capital Wrestling Center. I'm getting the odd splashes of like creative color on this dark and dingy atmosphere that kind of sucks everybody into it. I think everybody feels worse off for this. Um, and I didn't really care about that before Standard Deliver because I thought the product was so rubbish. I'm starting to like enough of these people that I wish they were doing this stuff somewhere else. <sighs> Not particularly life-affirming show for me. Um, you know, my problems with the, the format and the philosophy and the production style and all the rest of it are long-standing at this point i don't think it's a particularly great show wasn't life-affirming wasn't particularly energetic um usual nxt bollocks of like a few cell phone segments where certain people were saying oh you stop caring about me there's a reason for that it's like yeah it's not the one you think um, but look i like the nxt redemption elements to it and there's a wrestler on this show who I'm pretty much as high on as I was Saray last week. Um, my God, there was a performance in that main event, which itself wasn't fantastic, and that I thought actually was individually. A little, a little hook I'm going to put you on there, just for the end. I don't, want to, I don't want to be accused of having a God complex, but yet again, another show, it felt like they designed specifically for me. Just, oh, uh, Lagana Del Fantasma stand tall. Uh, Zach Gibson calls someone a knobhead. And everything, baby, going to the moon. Uh, and maybe just the fact that the uh, maybe just the fact that I um, had to watch Raw this week. So yet again, I'm like, ah, well, uh, hey, hey, Meg, did you get less ugly? Uh, good stuff. Uh, right. Let's start at the beginning of this show. Uh, uh, Mercedes Martinez taking on Dakota Kai, the match she sure saw as a sort of stepping stone to Raquel Gonzalez. I bloody love Mercedes Martinez. I say this a lot, but I just think she's such a great, ass kicker uh, and that's what she did to start off the match uh she was in control i did get some offense in then there was a, a trifecta of double underhook suplexes uh, that sent to kokai to the arts outside martinez goes after her there is nxt women's champion raquel gonzalez they have a stare down martinez blocks a shot from gonzalez whilst the referee's not looking nails her gets back in the ring lays out to kokai picks her up for a for a 
finisher or some sort of fireman's carry or whatever. And then in comes Gonzalez with a big old boot. DQ win for Mercedes Martinez. Gonzalez attacking Martinez after the match. Hoying her into the ring post, into the barricade, laying her out, basically. Uh, DQ bollocks, yes, Michael Hampler. But you were complaining that we weren't definitively knowing whether Miss, uh, whether Raquel Gonzalez was a good guy or a bad guy or whatever. This seemed to sort of establish that, yeah, she's just paranoid already. Uh, yeah, I guess it did. You know, this is the first time in a while a screwy finish has actually ruined a match for me. And that's a backhanded compliment to the match because NXT has been like doing this stuff for quite a while now. And a lot of the time I'm not bothered. You know, like I don't, I don't have that sense of feeling robbed of something like I did here because I was really, really enjoying this, like really enjoying it. Um, I like Mercedes Martinez. Um, I don't think I like her as much as you, Will Bart, to be honest, but I do really like her. Um, I think she's like she's dangerous and she plays she plays the giant role really well. A la Raquel Gonzalez or Rhea Ripley, Mercedes Martinez very easily levels up to that in a way that allows Dakota Kai to be the the brilliant like cut off merchant she is. Like stuff like the um like the code breaker counter, like mm. coming through the ropes just to like steal the advantage again. Like, I, I love stuff like that. I, like, I bought 100% we were going to get a finish here. So I thought Mercedes Martinez was going to have to work to get a win over Dakota Kai, which is in service of everything else they've been doing, which is Dakota Kai takes one too many pinfalls and it doesn't really help Raquel Gonzalez's trajectory. Happened for them as a tag team. Thought it was going to happen here. Still not sure why they didn't just deliver that here. Uh, like, I honestly thought it, it made more sense. Like, often when this happens, it's because they get it, they get so obsessed with this idea that, well, we've got to protect that finish and we've got to protect that pinfall. It made sense for Kai to get beat here, to be for Mercedes Martinez to be the better woman tonight. And you still could have established Gonzalez as more of a heel than a babyface, more of somebody that wanted to look out for a friend. Like, everything else about the match was so great. I'm into Gonzalez Martinez. I wish she decked her after the bell and after the win and they presented it as paranoia that way than how this match really cheaply ended. I was really enjoying it up to then. Yeah, I wasn't into the match in itself particularly. Um, Martinez's power spots were all great. I don't think anything was threaded together particularly well. There was one moment where to protect a finish or protect a big move, like you could actually see Dakota Kai like kind of like nudge Martinez out of the ring thought, oh, God, he can't be, like, film it from a different angle or just simply get on the same wavelength. That took me out of it. I just thought that was amateur hour. Um, and that finish was not just bad because it was anticlimactic. It was bad for two reasons beyond that. It was an unholy trinity of a rubbish WWE finish. Number one, it's just anticlimactic. If you're going to do a finish like that, don't go so long in a match. Number two, you've missed a narrative opportunity to create a further rift between... Um, Gonzalez and Dakota Kai if they want to do some kind of miscommunication or she botched the interference leading to the win. And number three, we are smart fans. We know the booking patterns. We will suspend our disbelief happily if we are treated with a modicum of intelligence. And the idea is that Mercedes Martinez is not going to take that title from Raquel Gonzalez at this point. Create the illusion that she might by going all the way or some of the way with like a decent victory, a decent clean enough victory that just plants that seed of doubt. I thought this was an omni failure of WWE parody booking mm. in the match was only good in spite of a dynamic that didn't really work for me from the jump. Uh, then we got backstage uh, an interview with uh, the women's tag team champions and Moonshotsy Blackheart. Uh, some flowers were delivered. Uh, and uh, after that, Frankie Monet showed up saying, oh, someone's got a crush on the champs. Read the card and apparently the flowers were from one Dexter Loomis. And both girls wanted nothing to do with him. Ember Moon's like, oh, I'm married. They must be for you, Shotzi. She's like, no, I'm good. It's not for me. Back and forth. This is WWE comedy, isn't it, Sage? It is, but I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Um, I don't love it. It's not like for me, but viewed objectively, what they are doing, and I'm a big fan of this because NXT so often finds itself in circular booking holding patterns, which Jesus Christ will get to with Bronson Reed later on. What they are doing 
is positioning Frankie Monetti as kind of a disturber. And they are lining up opponents and they are, I know this word has got a lot of weight, so don't really interpret it with the way I usually use it. I'm not going to use that word, but they are trying to dovetail a lot of what Frankie Monet is doing across this women's division, creating like a shared universe, lining up opponents. This is all like really quite um, studious booking, I would say. Um, it's such a refreshing departure from the usual way in which they book this women's division. Like they are actually recognizing it as this sort of bright landscape with varying talents playing varying roles. You've got baby faces who can be taken seriously, who can be taken really seriously in the case of Io Shirai. Um, got comedy characters going on. I think this is quite a smart way to book um, a new talent. Yeah. Different uh, from NXT. Like, I'm not, not into it at all. I think this, plus what we've had with Zoe Stark lately, and obviously like another pretty successful debut later on the show. It's just nice that they're not being so like ruthlessly linear with this division because the talent almost allows them to, doesn't it? Like they've been the kind of a victim of their own in-ring brilliance that we've just had this like A to B to C plotting, which like delivers something satisfying, but not always something very exciting. Um, with Cedric, I felt that, especially with Frankie Monet, like you're, you're kind of NXT trained to assume that like she's going to have this match with the Yoshirai now four weeks Big first win. Uh, he lost it. So, you know, like just something like that. And they've given you something different in week two for this character. Or week three, I guess, because the first week was her coming out and interrupting Raquel, wasn't it? So, yeah, like three weeks, three very different interactions with different women on the roster. Um, yeah, I got the same out of this. Like the comedy was almost like the set dressing for them trying. with their, like And like Christ against Raw on SmackDown. Like couldn't be further away than how they're booking the women. And so it's like particularly refreshing considering this is a WWE product. Uh, the highlight of the show came next. It was Cameron Grimes. He was in the jewellery store. He was treating himself to a fancy watch. He was showing off about how much goddamn money he's got. Uh, he says, just this coin gold bites into it. It's a chocolate coin. Um, he says, oh, don't sell me a chocolate watch. And he's looking into getting the, the, the fanciest watch money can buy. To be continued. We'll come back to that. And then came another great moment on the show. The grizzled young veterans are in the ring. They're talking about the tag team champions, MSK. They're talking about how, you know, the men make the titles. The titles don't make the men. As I mentioned, Zach Gibson called them knobheads. That was a sensational call. Um, he said, basically, they're the best, even if that causes a few snowflakes to melt. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher interrupt their back. Um they say, we've got quite a lot in common, me and you. Uh, Champa keeps calling Thatcher toothless Timmy. They say, look, we're grizzled, we're veterans. They walk down to the ring, they confront them. They say, actually, you know, you beat us last time, fair play, you know, but we've been studying you. Timothy Thatcher's been watching footage and taking notes. And Thatcher remembers when they were at the uh, NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff, I believe it was. And the infamous shoes off if you hate Gibson chant. Thatcher gets a bit intense with it all. Champa takes his boot off and twats them with it. They brawl, they beat them down. I'm very excited to see where this goes, Michael Amplett. Yeah, I liked it. I was impressed that they found a, a nice way to introduce the boot as a weapon beyond just one of them decking the other. Like that was such a tell that they've put, put more than five seconds of thought into something. Like, I, like you just... It sounds like a low bar, but like sometimes I think you really need that, like in NXT, to sort of like have some of your faith restored. It's a match that makes all the sense, in the, like a feud that makes all the sense in the world off the back of the one match they already have. Grizzled Young versus Grizzled Old. I've got like great faith in the outcome because like surely the match will be tremendous. Just enjoyed it. Like any, any, the same with the women. Anything where you can make me believe like there's actually a division rather than just matches to build matches. And I'll, I'll buy it. I'll absolutely buy it and I'll, I'll bet into this. On a scale of Imperium to 10, it was really nice to give <laughs> a six of like a little bit of a TV presence. Like I've had a, just a long-standing gripe with the idea of Timothy Thatcher is just doing like evolved stuff on national TV. It's like, Jesus Christ, it just doesn't work. This was a step, I guess, in the right direction. You don't want him to be a clown, but at the same time, you want him to be halfway entertaining, not just this miserable technical specialist who veers so far into parody that he just never radiates this badass presence. Um, it was kind of wacky, 
he doesn't have comic timing, but in him not having comedic timing, it was not not funny, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Like you could tell he wasn't entirely comfortable, but at the same time, it was just a little bit different. Um, Zach Gibson calling someone a knobhead. It's great that because he'd never have an American, hey, dickhead. You wouldn't get that on TV, but they're kind of because they're British, they get away with it and they don't really know what the mm-hmm. word knob is. So I like that. that cheeky bit of enterprising swearing because we all, a lot of us, unless the word comes out of Taz's mouth, it's getting a little bit lame on the other channel mm-hmm. and the better channel. So this is like a nice different way of actually accomplishing that. The match will be good. It's something to do for the Grizzly Young Veterans that isn't the immediate rematch with MSK. So that hasn't been completely cannibalized. Yeah, I was quite into all this. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where this goes. And I do like the idea, like you say, of of, uh, Thatcher watching it and getting a little pop out of it and then trying to ape it. And like you say, he can't really get his head around it. And it's... But again, it's British humour trying to watch the watch their version of the bloody in between us trying the Americans try and do that for goodness sake. It's uh, position, like, isn't it? Like that's what you need from Thatcher on national TV. Like oh. you need it because what you can bring just doesn't work in that realm. So I was honestly entertained for one of the first times. I like the idea of one of the Grizzly Young veterans calling him Toothless Timmy and him being like, You can't call me that. Only Thatcher can call me that as well. I just, I don't know. But like you say, can't wait to see where this goes next. So speaking of tag teams, uh, it was Drake Maverick, Killian Dane. They were backstage and Drake Maverick has got a brain because he was like, Well, I guess know where this is going. We're facing Imperium. We're like, yeah, and you've been making eyes at them for bloody ages. You're either going to abandon me, I'm going to walk out and be on my own, or I'm going to come over to the corner, try and tag you, and you're going to turn on me, basically. And Killian Dane eased his nerves, apparently, Michael Sidgwick, by quoting George Michael. You've got to have faith. Again, juxtaposition. Nice. It's not too wacky where it becomes that dreaded WWE thing. It's just this kernel of a popper that doesn't betray the act itself, provides a little bit of warmth and levity to it. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this backstage segment. I thought it was a missed opportunity from your best friend, Wade Barrett, uh, when they were thrown at the stairs later on in the match to go, wham! Like that. <laughs> that, that, was, that was your tear. I thought he lost that one. No, he referenced another um, popular music star of the 80s, and that was Michael Jackson later on, so I'm not sure how <laughs> well advised that was. But uh, yeah. it, was a, it was a bit of a careless whisper, that one. <laughs> Doesn't whisper anything. Boom! <laughs> Uh, right, let's get on next to Tony Storm. She got this in-ring promo. She talked about Zoe Stark, who, of course, she attacked last week. Uh, she said uh, Stark should thank her for making her famous. She was going to end Stark's career basically before it even began, and the rookie that was in the ring was going to be used as an example to, to Zoe Stark. So Zayda Ramia, I think, was, was her name. She gets chucked all over the place like an empty tracksuit in the word of Adam Nicholas to start off with. Storm's toying with her. Storm goes to hit a finisher in the middle of the ring and decides, no, that's not enough. I'm going to go up top to hit to hit this. She climbs the top turnbuckle, all looks set up to, to hit a finisher. When Zoe Stark comes out, the distraction allows Ramia to, to knock Storm off the turnbuckles and then hit a spectacular shooting star press. And Tony Storm gets beaten by a Michael Hamlet, I really like this. Oh God, man! Like two members of the Click book NXT, and this reminded me of two other members of the Click that I wish were booking NXT because there was such a great one-two-three kid raise remote energy in the finish of this. The shooting star press is the updated version of the one-two-three kids moon salt that clocked Razor back in the day. Um, it couldn't go without a distraction, but I can't hate it because they've actually set up this story. They've set up like Tony Storm as this. Proper arsehole, like the way she ran down last week just to put the boots in. Like really cruel and had like had payback coming. And yet Stark isn't so like ingrained in the culture that maybe she doesn't yet have the confidence to return fire by putting the boots in. Stand on the ramp, I'll absolutely take. And you've potentially gotten Ramia over as a start. I don't know if this will be a, a one and done and they'll present her as a, as a jobber after the fact and she'll lose two or three big matches. But the fact that Stark has been losing and losing upwards tells me that like, I don't feel like this was an accident. We've just seen somebody do a shooting star press. That move has got such a timeless quality. And we know within, like as Cedric said earlier on, as the smart fans, we know within the WWE system how much trust you need to establish to be allowed to do that in the first place. It's Evan Bourne doing 10 in a row before he was allowed to do it. It's all that stuff. Hmm. Um, I love this. 
Like, I, I love this presentation. It's a pretty timeless one of how to do a, a really great and entertaining upset. Um, I love what they've done with Zoe Stark, just everything so far. Banging a Zoe Stark and Tony Storm as a match, as a feud. And I, yeah, I think I've got like pretty high hopes for how they're going to push forward with Raimi after the fact. What a lovely bit of television all this was. I'll be kind and I will say it was productive and they've tried to do things. Um, I don't think Raimi looked good beyond the finish. Um, got lost badly in a four-minute match against the season pro and Tony Storm. Like, that's not a particularly good omen for what they might do with her going forward. You didn't get the same... It was one, two, three kid in vision, if not execution. Um, mm. So it was productive. They tried to do different things here. It was the type of victory, or the type of loss, sorry, in the part of Tony Stone that really doesn't matter. It seeks to build something else. And you get like a nice little byproduct of it ultimately. But yeah, poor Amy got lost. And I've already seen Storm versus Stark. I don't know what they're doing with Tony Storm. Um, if I'm being critical of this segment, which again, otherwise was productive, I'm thinking Tony Storm's got more to do at this point than Zone Star. And it might end up in her winning the feud in a lengthy 15-minute match that acts as a, Jesus Christ, that was way better than I was expecting, breakthrough and Stark loses nothing and losing it. But I will reappraise this if and when that happens. LA Knight was backstage cutting a promo, basically saying that Indy Hartwell shouldn't fancy Dexter Loomis, or doesn't fancy Dexter Loomis, wants to spend the night with LA Knight, basically. All that. He walks off, and then <laughs> Ever they know what they're doing, Ever Rise now. Ever Rise walk in, like, oh, hey, do you want to talk about our highly successful internet talk show? And she goes, no, <laughs> back to you guys. This popped me. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I, I like Ever Rise a lot. More for them to do on this TV show, please. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to like at some point evolve beyond this crack, isn't it? Where they get like one line a week because they're just they're still too funny. And um, I like the implication from LA Knight about like he's well aware of Dexter's past with girls, and he's obviously referring to like the Sam Shaw storyline in TNA from when he was there. So like, it doesn't end well. It's, it's no good. <laughs> I'd steer away, Andy Hartman. Uh, and then we got the the match where if Bronson Reed beats Austin Theory, he gets another shot at the NXT North American Championship. They tried to sort of explain away the 50-50 booking we complained about as stand and deliver by saying, well, he probably wasn't 100% after going through the gauntlet, blah, blah, blah. I have to say, Austin Theory is fast becoming one of my favourite things uh, in terms of in-ring in NXT, obviously with all the caveat of the issues we spoke about yesterday and we speak about every time with the, the speaking out allegations. Um Initially, Reed, of course, overpowers Austin Theory uh, and then Gargano because he's a... Oh, by the way, when Reed was walking to the ring, there was like the ominous shot we've seen previously with that carrying cross standing there. So it's, it's a freak out with Kyle O'Reilly for his match. <laughs> Austin Theory bobs out and goes, hey guys, what are you doing in the dark? I don't know why that tickled me so much. Anyway, in the match, yeah, Gargano, of course, interferes. He, he hits Reed with a super kick. He Poise him into the ring steps. We go to break. Theory's still in control when we come back. Eventually, Reed hulks up, chucks Theory about. Uh, Theory hits him with a blockbuster for a, for a near fall. They trade quite a few near falls at that point. They're both knocked down at one point, and out comes Dexter Loomis. Indy Hartwell, by the way, when she came out with the rest of the way, is just in a right old mood. She's not happy. Hartwell doesn't want anything to do with Dexter Loomis. She walks off walks away from him. She rolls into the ring mid-match. Loomis gets on the apron. Uh, they look at each other. Hartwell says, just talk too much, Dexter, basically. Um, Loomis gets bumped off the apron by by Theory, and uh, Reed, in the end, hits a tsunami to get the one, two, three. He now is the number one contender of the NXT North American Championship, and Dexter Loomis well, just stares at the rest of the way. Uh, Siege, what do you think of, of this? Um, it's either a really convoluted and, at this point, redundant means of building a champion, right? Or it's the absolute death now of Bronson Reed's career. Surely after this, if he fails, it's like, right, I can never take him seriously on this brand again unless he turns heel or whatever. Um, and I don't want him to. He's so fun with the right measures as a caveat, as this guy who can just toss people around at his whim, just trap them. And like Austin Theory's not a small guy nor a slouch. So you get these little moments in these matches, even if the 
possibly go a bit too long considering their set dressing for Gaga. I don't want him to be a face. I kind of partly want him to see him win that North American title, but I just kind of take him seriously in the rule that this match didn't do a great deal beyond being quite entertaining in patches to like get him over as a serious like championship caliber guy. I'm I'm hopeless. I'm as hopelessly in love with this index stuff. The I don't know when he missed it. Um, a few days of action of content that WWE trademarked index in dash decks. Amazing, that's brilliant. Class, like, <laughs> I was hope I was hopelessly in love with index beyond all my sensibilities as I am as Indy Hartwell is with Dexter Loomis himself. It's <laughs> such a like bizarre, but like definitely earned in organic chemistry. And I, I'm shipping the idea of Dexter <laughs> Loomis, like with his choke kink and Indy Hartwell being absolutely bang up for it. Like it's quite a really like neat update on like a love angle, a romance angle. Mm. Like it's really funny. Um, the chemistry's there. Indy Hartwell's fabulous as a comedic performer. Bang into that more than I am what this ultimately was also trying to do. And that's build a title match. Why? Why can't these crazy kids just get it together? I know. I'm saying about, I'm saying about these two far more than I'm like the growth of a Bronson Reed or whatever. Like it's just, yeah. I thought the match was so dry for me until it actually got good at the end. Like this, when the sledgehammer of plot was swung, I was into it. But I'm like the outcomes. I'm We've not, seen it a million uh, times as well. Yeah, like the, it's they're kind of reaping what they sow with Bronson Reed, aren't they? Because we're like. With hit, it's not even just oh, this is an NXT thing where they kind of like go half in with a guy and then ask you to like suddenly back him to the hilt when he gets the, the opportunity it might be the one where he's going to win the title. They've literally done it with him. It's not just with like other, it's not just like we're looking at a sort of a Leon Ruff to use a recent example where he gets the fluke win. Uh, this is they've done this bit with Bronson Reed. This will be the third time now, and you're just like, oh, all right, fine, maybe he's going to get it done, but I feel like they probably cashed in the opportunity of that magic first victory. Um. But I completely echo Cedric. I, I, I love this stuff so much. I love the Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis angle. I love the way it's. Um, I love the way it's bringing in other people. This goes back to what we were saying about the Frankie Monet stuff earlier on, and to a lesser extent, the finish of this match. You just want this place of work to feel real, and you want just like you can't have everything overlap. It would get messy, but like the odd little overlaps that they shouldn't be afraid of that we probably don't see enough of to make all of this feel more real and feel a bit lived in. Like I just, I, I welcome that if nothing else. So I quite like how it's like spilled over into other situations over the last couple of weeks, as well as being like quite funny and as well as making you actually root for two characters. It's nice. It's nice. And it's an escape. And NXT has been specifically bad at those two things for quite a long time now. It's just such a perfect fundamental driver of television. The will they, won't they mm-hmm. like, Done well, right? It's like genuinely lovely. You'd love to see it. Like you love like Jim and Pam, absolute perfection. Ross and Rachel to a lesser extent because Ross is just an absolute botherer. But um I'm more into the will they won't they on NXT than I am like the pro wrestling show. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> take goddamn what I can get from this. Will Bone have popped you. I just remembered when you said you sat down with your missus to watch the American office and first saw the, well, you know, we all know, we all know what happens with Jim and Pam. She was just like, ah, oh, so they're going to get together. And, uh, no, like, <laughs> can't, let it all. God, just, just enjoy it. <laughs> um, both, um, am I right in saying as well, Cedric? I think I'm speaking on behalf of your wife as well. Both dadly wives saying, well, I mean, I'd have probably gone with Karen. Right there. Yes, I. <laughs> yeah, right, that's a, the jewel take of both dadly wives. Uh, and I do like the, the whole scheming alongside this of Candice Ray. Of course, we know that they're getting, I think it's next week, actually, they're getting a title shot of the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. And Lorraine puts everything on what happened down to, to, to Moon and Blackheart and, and saying they're trying to steal your man, etc. And that would obviously feed in later on as well, Hamlet. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the thing I, I've really enjoyed how, as I said, how it's like spilled over into other issues. Mm. This like deathly dull booking of the way versus Shotty Blackheart and Emma Moon has life to it because there's a, there's a story adjacent to it that's actually interesting. So you cannot sell me another, oh, Candice Ray and Shotty Blackheart hate each other, but you can sell me this match one last time because of how this has folded into it. Can I be cynical here? 
proper tinfoil hat stuff. Have you noticed knobheads in NXT creative, those cynical knobheads, are tossing out a false count anywhere match and yeah. a street fight on the yeah. exact same show on the eve of blood and guts in a cynical dickhead <laughs> bid to desensitize wrestling fans and to quench their appetite for violence ahead of AEW's biggest TV show of the year so far. What a... They're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Either that or they're dumb enough to do two stipulation matches on one show. Which no, is it? It's probably both. I can see it's them gonna... ending the show on Tuesday going, well, that's it all enough wrestling for me for now. I get <laughs> Friday, but I won't need to watch any more wrestling no matter what they do for the next if, few days. If you want to see more destruction after this, you're a sick freak. That's what <laughs> uh, Barrett's going to say. Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell finally having their first kiss as Bronson Reed holds up the title. It's like, we've got love and guts. <laughs> hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Right. Interesting move next, I thought, Michael Hamlet. They had an update on former NXT champion Finn Balor, and they've turned him heel because uh, he's off their showboating. He gets to go on bloody holiday. Oh, it's nice for some, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he was off uh, recovering. I'm joking, of course. Recovering in, in, in Mexico, I think is the uh, the way the locals say it. And uh, he's going to be back next week. It's odd. Um, but I like that Finn Balor more than I like the one that held the belt for six months. So jury's out, I think. Really strange to be like the most intense cat in the universe got just got his clock cleaned at a takeover and it's turned him into a, a man that's found joy in life again. Like this is this sails dangerously close that being like nothing makes an NXT champion happier than being nowhere near NXT. Check out Adam Cole later <laughs> on, bas- basking in the glow of the sun. Like It's almost like, get yourself away from this product and you'll find happiness. So they're like skirting a bit of a, like a, a bit of a thin line there, but um, yeah, not what I expected. So I'll judge this more on what I see next than what I saw here. Yeah, my immediate take upon watching this was they're going to run a storyline where someone at some point within the next, well, probably when the challenge him or confront him next week is going to like accuse him of going soft. Mm. And like, that's like saying, I know I shagged him out to Finn Balor, considering what his disposition, I'm not going soft. He's soft. That's quite, I can't do that. He's not into a Mori either. Mori comes back. I'd love the show. Um, but no, that seems to be, the, the setup. You've gone soft since losing the title. You've lost your edge. Um, 
you lose me tightly going on holiday. Where's the old Finn Balor? So I'm 40. I'm 40. How much older do you want to be? Um, <laughs> half decent source of conflict, I guess. I said I said this on the news this morning, and it's a. Uh, he said you'll you'll you say this a lot in terms of you know you grade me on the curve. It's a very low bar, but in terms of like just NXT giving their former champions who've just lost their big belts a bit of time off. I know we've seen Io Shirai doing interviews and stuff, but you don't have to bring them back next week and be like, well, I've lost the title, but LA Knight's here now, so I want to deal with that. It's like just give it a bit of space to breathe. I realize it's what three four weeks since Takeover Sands and Levis, so it's not that much time, but. Just, just a bit is, is is a pleasant change from what we get on on the main roster, uh, it's, right? Uh, it's typical social media, I know, and it? it's just all cat pictures. <laughs> Not what it was. Uh, right, we got Gallus Whiskers. That's what someone can. That's what Wade Barrett can say. Gallus <laughs> Whiskers. Now that you're gallivanting off to Mexico. Maverick and Dane versus Imperium came next and uh, well, very nearly what Drake Maverick had been predicted sort of manifested itself. Uh, Imperium cut the ring in half, beat the crap out of Drake Maverick when he was uh, on his own. Uh, he lost the button on his jeans. <laughs> he got his head kicked in. And when he finally, uh, when, when a weird sort of, I'm not looking at my corner, sliding over, trying to get to the tag, finally went to do that. Uh, one of Imperium knocked Dane off the apron and Maverick thought, oh no, he's done it. He's turned on me. He's left me behind. He was heartbroken. That wasn't the case though. Uh, Dane rushes in, clears house, runs wild and then uh, gets taken out on the outside. Alexander Wolf, uh, who's with them, uh, he's there. He grabs a chair. Marcel Bartel, I believe it was, tells him to hit Dane with a chair, but Wolf just couldn't do it. Um, Bartel gets him in uh, Wolf's face. In comes a flying Drake Maverick through the ropes. Um, and then Wolf stands in between Dane and the ring post when Dane's trying to post Bartel. All that allows them to double team Drake Maverick in the end, take Dane out of it, uh, hit him with that doomsday uppercut, European uppercut thing that they do and uh, and get the victory. And then this sort of weird posturing on the ramp from uh, from Eichner and Bartel and Alexander Wolf. An element of intrigue, I suppose, is the nicest thing I can say about this, Sige. Yeah. I mean, I don't buy, nor am I into an Alexander Wolf babyface turn. Mm. What's, what's causing all this? What's going I just don't really get it. It feels like if he was going to turn baby, this group is so one-dimensional, Imperium, which is the problem when you try and use them as a foundation to tell an actual story. Mm. The characters are not drawn particularly well at all. Um, I don't know anything about their history beyond they are drawn together because they're all serious, miserable bastards. One of them now has a soft spot for... I just don't get it. It feels like they're telling a story for story's sake because they've realised Imperium are boring and they should probably do something with them that's more TV. I just... I don't get this Imperium stuff. I'm, I don't like it. Um, they continue to do halfway decent stuff with Drake and Dane in contrast to that. Like, I like how they use actual physical story beats to show the story of their friendship without telling it. Like his jumped up, die through the ropes, how he was helped. And so like, I, I do I'm quite like that, but I don't give a about Imperium. And this didn't really do much to, to help that. It's surreal that they're like, hey, do you remember when we're insanity when Eric Young was up in TNA or in Impact Wrestling, I should say. But, uh, that's it. Like I was, you know, pretty critical of like, Matt Jackson's melodrama, but I totally like, forgot they were in that bloody stable together. Well, that's it. It's not like sanity with the elite, you know. It's not like the song you do. It kind of got this like Wolf and Dane thing, like, oh god, what should I do? I'm so conflicted. It's like I don't give a toss either way. That's the major problem about that. Like reform sanity for all I care. I could well see them doing it. You know, I could actually, um, like they'll do some daft bits. So like Imperium was so frigging dry and boring and black trunks and canvas and all that. So like Killing Dane or just like. Give Wolf his old red stripey sanity tights and maybe try these on her. Huh? And then you'll have like, there'll be like Drake Maverick can do his cosplay bit that he enjoys where he like looks ridiculous in other wrestlers' clothes. And that brings Walter out for a three on three. I don't know. Like, it's just, there's a, what did you say? Like, a, there's like a shred of intrigue, well, but mm. that's exactly what this was. Like, I, like Imperium is so drab. And I like, uh, all I got was like a shred of intrigue. Like he won't hit him with a chair. Where like where's his lighters? Like all that. It, 
it's the it's the end result. Like unless the end result of the water in, it's not going to be that good, is it? Mm. Like it's just it's going to be as aggressively fine as this. Just as long as it means to an end, we get Drake. No friends to Drake Maverick, but getting Drake Maverick chopped by Walter is still something that I need. I need to. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't chop him at the time. Um, Ridiculous. And if I was, <laughs> if I was, uh, if I was Nikki Cross, I'd be like, I think we should reunite Sanity so I can go back to NXT rather than mess with that stupid bloody twat. How um, hey Drake, um, we're thinking about you selling the shop. Oh yeah, boss, how do you want me to do it? Can you uh, can you cry on cue? Oh. <laughs> I think I might have it in there. I'll see what I can do. Uh, promo from Pete Dunn. I like this again. Uh, he says, got the whole locker room shook. He threatened to spark out Walter and take the title that he made famous. He offered out Gargano. He offered out Cross. He's described himself as the baddest man in NXT. Try and prove him wrong. Again, enjoyable this, Sige. Sorry, that's NXT. I sometimes zone out. What did he just say? Pete Dunn's <laughs> promo. Oh, God, who cares? When he's saying everyone's forgotten about me, it's like, yeah, they have. And it's not because they're running scared, it's because they're running bored is kind of the problem. It's just the same old problem with Pete Dunne. There is a certain breed of pro wrestler who used to exist in the old world who just isn't a memorable or entertaining or must-see television performer. Pete Dunne's one of them. And he'll whoever challenges him will have a good match with him in a takeover. And until then... Um, it's like it's a bit of a cell phone because they are all but telling you that their booking is backwards through the vehicle of this promo because Pete Dunne's win over Kushida meant absolutely nothing at all. Um, it meant nothing in the build, it meant nothing in the aftermath. And what they're trying to, what they are inadvertently telling you is, oh yeah, the booking's a bit rubbish here. And so are the promos. <laughs> Great wrestling. It's like it's rotational, isn't it? Pete Dunne and Kushida fight because people want to see that match. Pete Dunne wins. Kushida wins a belt before Pete Dunne uh, in the aftermath of it. Um, I thought, I, like, I didn't actually mind the delivery of this, but yeah, Pete Dunne, not for the first time this year, has been undermined by the material in the booking because it's one thing for him to say, well, I've already beaten Kushida, so I could probably take his cruiserweight title, or if I fancied getting my belt back off Walter, I could go and do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's carrying Cross. But there's not carrying cross, is there? Because there was Finn Balor and you couldn't beat him. Mm. And before you had the chance to fight Finn Balor, there was Kyle O'Reilly for the opportunity to fight Finn Balor and you couldn't beat him. And it's just like, you can say all this, but they've long, long rendered it meaningless. You know what? I'll be kind of to his delivery because I'm usually not. He did. He, he has an energy about him, Pete Dunn. It's not particularly magnetic or compelling, but he does have a, he does exude a, oh, Christ, I wouldn't want to hang around with this guy and he'd probably beat my face in. And there's worth in that, I guess. But And then there's Karrion Cross. Is there because, what, you're going to put on £10? <laughs> go up to the heavyweight division? Why is Johnny Gargano in the heavyweight division? There shouldn't be a cruiserweight division. It doesn't matter that much. I don't think anyone's that bothered. But when you just basically say, I'm going to, have, I'm going to, be, I'm going to challenge for the cruiserweight title... And at the same time, I'll throw one out to the biggest guy in the room. It's like, oh, wait a minute. It's just loose, <laughs> loose, loose stuff. It's like um, Jericho talking about Sean Spears' upside, isn't it? Like, oh, Pete, don't you keep talking about your winning streak? I've never seen it. <laughs> like, uh... Uh, time for a bit of a victory lap here on the podcast. Uh, you know, we know he'd been linked for a while, but literally called this yesterday myself for Michael Sidgwick because Cameron Grimes was in the jewellery store. He was looking at watches. He finally picks one out. He says, oh, it's, yeah, it's great. It's fancy. This is the most expensive watch. Everyone's going to be jealous of it. He's looking at it on his wrist and then a very familiar voice says, that's a nice watch. It's just not a million dollar watch. And there is Ted DiBiase shoving it in Cameron Grimes's face. He does his classic laugh. And uh, I've popped my little tits off, Michael Sidgwick. Love this. Like a million times better than any Legends deal because what they do on the Legends shows, Teddy Biasi, is it? Are you hanging out with Kelly Kelly? Kelly oh. Kelly at a party by a punch bowl, like with one spotlight in the corner. <laughs> They're dancing, but there's no music. It's the most yeah. bizarre thing imaginable. What they've done here is they've given you the laugh after he was cruel. That's the whole point. That's what he laughs at. Isn't it's not just a wind-up toy? It's your thing, Ted DiBiase. Well, I made you loads of money in the eighties. You should know this. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I'm into this. It can't possibly result in a match. I've got no idea where it's going. In terms of skit comedy, that's probably overtaken NXT. They've listened to my advice a little bit too carefully on that one. Yeah, I'm into it. Don't know where it's going. I don't care. They've already got a certain chemistry. Um, new money versus old money, I guess. It's just a bit of silly bollocks that I quite enjoyed. I've got no actual insight on it whatsoever. More of this sort of thing, absolutely, understandably, I would say that. But also, like I, I said yesterday with usage, they have to do that slow realisation of of the stepbrothers. Do we just become best friends? Yeah. Because they both like money, they both like re and they both like shoving it in other people's faces. So, yes, have these skits for a few weeks where, I don't know, uh, Cameron Grimes has got a, 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 the, the best table booked at a restaurant and say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, someone's actually come before you. And then there's Ted DiBiase with 20 lobsters on the table going, ha, 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 whatever you want to do. <laughs> have that and then have him eventually, as Sid suggested yesterday, become friends. Give him the sodding million-dollar belt. Give him the million-dollar championship, Michael Hamlet. Yeah. Um, well, that they've was... Tried, sorry, sorry. They've tried to get two people over with that, right? It is a curse of a belt in Austin and DiBiase Jr. Cameron Grimes can get that belt all the way yeah. over again. Totally agree. Um, I mean, Christ, Teddy DiBiase Jr. even had Virgil for a few weeks and, and that didn't help him. Like, there was no saving him. Like He's charisma. <laughs> I love this. Um, the Even like Teddy DiBiase hanging out in a jewellery shop, flexing his jewellery like harkens back to him wearing Vince McMahon's cape for the reveal of the million dollar belt back in 89. So even that like for sort of the old demographic they know they've got like was appreciated. Um, yeah, it, if this was a one-off, they've set something up knowing that they could deliver it and delivered it, and it's been very satisfying. If it lingers beyond this one gag and you get more of DBOC with Cameron Grimes or, as you say, like fighting over their, their wealth or their supposed wealth, it's actually somebody getting the rub off a legend. Like, never thought we'd see the day again, <laughs> but this is this is actually how you do it. Mm, indeed. Uh, oh, sorry. Let's get a phone call here from. All right, Ben Roy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I'll tell him. All right. Yes, mate. All right. Bye. He said Teddy Biossi Jr. wasn't that bad, according to him. I don't like to say that. Uh, right. Got it. He's got a bat signal appears in the sky, but it's just a turd emoji. Teddy <laughs> 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 <Third> Biossi Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he was mechanically sound. I'll give him that. God. <laughs> so is my Ford C-Max but it's not a B-Max <laughs> I've got a Ford B-Max Cameron Grimes <laughs> to the park <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right next up uh, it was um, uh, Jesse Camilla and Aaliyah they were supposed to be facing the tag champs Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackhawk they come down in their tank and what have you uh, before they, they they get in the ring, though, there's someone there with more gifts. There's chocolate, there's cakes, there's flowers, et cetera, et cetera. And they are jumped, of course, by Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, who kick the crap out of them, shove it all in their face. And I don't know why they tickle me so much. Robert Stone, Jessica and Leah go, well, guess that makes us tag champs then. And they just start running around and celebrating in the ring. I thought for a, free, for a harmless little segment to build for next week's tag match, I... I Again, really enjoyed this pamphlet. Yeah. Um, harmless, inoffensive, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I can't be critical of it because I'm liking the people involved, I guess. You know, it's like, and it was a, on a, on this sort of show that we're talking about that we're going through, and that was quite nice, and that was quite nice. I think this fit. I think on a different show and a different time, it probably would have, like, pissed off me all the critical eye, but can't hear this. Uh, you'll never please me, right? Ever. Because... <laughs> Two parts of my NXT brain. One, oh God, it's so intense and serious. Oh God, slip not there. And it's too silly in it. The NXT now, mm. like it really is, like much too silly. And they've just swung dramatically to this new tone that is like seeping into virtually every pore of the program. Mm. And it's as ineffective in creating something as the old. 2019 NXT was for me. Just let them like have unscripted promos and learn how to book. Like that's what I would like. <laughs> uh, well, then we got the uh, pre-advertised sit-down interview with Adam Cole. He was there with Arash Markazi of ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're poolside. 
Uh, Cole's on the phone going, oh, I don't know what they're bloody faffing about at. They, uh, what are you waiting for? And they just said, waiting for you, dickhead. Um, he got asked about his recovery post-match against Carlo Riley. He said, ah, I could feel better, but I'm still better hurt than the entire roster. Uh, he talked about him making the decision to break up the Undisputed Era. He didn't want to carry them anymore. He talks about people thinking that Kyle O'Reilly is now a top star. He's been there for four years, but he's still not ready for the main event. As long as I'm in NXT, Cole said, O'Reilly is not taking my spot. He even referenced Karrion Cross as the new NXT champion and hinted at maybe targeting him. Cole thinks, of course, he's better than Karrion Cross. And then he bollocked Mark Garzi for being unprofessional. And then we cut to Kyle O'Reilly looking all moody in a room thinking... What's this knobhead doing? What did you think of this, Sid? Intrigued about this? I keep forgetting. I honestly, they've, they've done such a bad job of presenting this guy. I keep forgetting, right, that Karrion Cross is meant to be a babyface because I was about to be nice to this promo. You know, I thought it was good, so I'll be nice about it again. I was about to be really nice and say, you know, what I really liked the little detail of NXT. Um, having a heel who's still in the world title picture, just mentioning offhand that he might target a heel just to create this little tiny thread of realize, realism. And I realized I probably could do Adam Cole versus Karrion Cross imminently <laughs> yeah. because Adam Cole's done everything he can in the title picture, so you can lose some matches and they'll still be a big deal because he's Adam Cole and he's a star. And it turns out, yeah, Karrion Cross, oh, Christ, he is a baby face, isn't he? Doomsday prophet with a valet who's enormous and boring and he's a baby. Jesus Christ. This is very on the nose, but nonetheless successful in its like objective of trying to get Adam Cole over as a big shot. They like drew through several cliches, suit, sunglasses, basking in the sun, like unusual location, like living the big life. I, even if I don't care still about this feud and this wasn't the kind of world-class promo a scripted one very rarely is. I, I still love Uncle so much. And as I was saying, if they're gradually, very, very gradually, just tweaking this dynamic to the point where Kyle O'Reilly is just more of himself, like as a reverend guy, and Adam Cole is just this aspirational, wealthy dickhead who is totally delusional, not so much so where it's comedy, but under the impression that he's this major league big shot and he's dressing for the occasion like that's heel work and i've been crying out for some baby face and heel work in this dynamic so another tiny step in terms of making this in my opinion botched cole versus i already break up that little bit more wrestlingy than triple h it just doesn't this potential dynamic doesn't feel half as uneasy as the first one like it kind of Imagine if Cole had just done this without needing to be decked over 40 minutes at a takeover first, because this is kind of who Adam Cole was already. Um, I'm not suggesting that I would have wanted much more of the Kyle O'Reilly we got last week, but imagine just having him right out the gates and then wondering what this might have been if this was their first match, rather than this is how they're both trying to... Like, is the crack here that they're both no-selling, stand and deliver? Like, Kyle is doing it with his hats and glasses and fun times, and Cole's doing it by trying to be the big shot he always was. Like... It's just, yeah, it's it's marginally, marginally better. They're all baby steps, and I worry that the next match could ruin it again. Mm. Like, I can't I can't see this next match going any less than, like, 45 minutes. The problem and is, just... you can have Adam Cole cut all the quality promos as a big shot in the world. You can have Kyle O'Reilly actually, which is so elusive in WWE, like, tap into his real-life personality and become this irreverent guy. You can do everything you want with the storytelling. The idea is, though, for me, they've exhausted me on the match. Mm. They've exhausted me on the match. Absolutely. Loser leaves NXT. That's what we need. It has to happen. Uh, and, uh, if it's, it's literally NXT redemption. Mm, the, yeah. The best parts of it are the silly parts, and no one is allowed to leave anymore because <laughs> it's itself, but it can't be showing itself because for various reasons it can't be. But it, it is the show that was like the place that guys would go before going to the main roster. They've never resolved how to uh, keep people there in an interesting manner. It's NXT Redemption, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Intrigued to know what you thought of the, the vignette that came next, uh, this diamond mine 
thing. I don't know whether it's, we talked about this on the news this morning. Is it a person? Is it a stable? Is it a show? I don't know. Is it raw underground, repurposed? Uh, it's MMA footage. It's things like uh, pressure is pleasure and all this. I think CM Punk's coming back, if I'm perfect. <laughs> what do you reckon, Hamlet? Uh, let's have more leg kicks in NXT and give some guys some much needed time off, shall we? Like more, more Chris Weidman's. Um, oh God, it like, yeah, I got the MMA energy off of this, but the last time I was even permitted to go anywhere near that on a wrestling show, it was Raw Underground. How on earth can you have any faith that this particular version of NXT is going to do anything different than that? Like, they, like how how can they make Raw Underground like even grimmer and sadder than the actual raw underground was um to be for all yeah apparently so bro for all hybrid stuff I'd, i don't know i don't care truthfully i think they've tried like they've done this thing where they've given you like a teaser trailer and it's had like the opposite effect for me personally i will accept that as a subjective thing and await what they've got but a product i had more faith in i'd probably have a bit more interest in this too this for me is another manifestation of how like the tone is just all over the place. Either it's the most super serious tweener intensity or just the silliest daft bollocks mm. on the show. And this is going to be more super serious intensity and it's going to jar quite badly with like the cupcakes and the kidnappings and the will they, won't they's mm. um, this if there's an actual wrestler just called Diamond Mine, that is Florida Championship Wrestling all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it will be. I think the Diamond Mine will be a stable of like shooters or MMA guys or whatever um, in a very NXT development. Like very, very NXT, this sort of thing. It's a kind of thing where if it's going to be the Wish version of Team Taz. <laughs> <laughs> I think Andy suggested like Jasmine Duke and, and Marina Shaviri obviously we could speak where, where are they? I, yeah, I don't know exactly so maybe this is a one way to possibly to reintroduce them yeah. all I thought all I could think of watching this was was Hamlet's reaction you know all the like oh, pain is just completeness leaving the body all those yeah, empty phrases it reminded me of when they had that one across from the Millennium Bridge as you cross from Newcastle to Gateshead, when they had that light, oh, I can't remember what it was, but I remember you being oh, absolutely it? furious about it, Am. But yeah, I'll dig out if I can find. I, I raised on Twitter at the time, so if you can find that tweet, it was something like it was a contradiction, but they'd put it in big light up letters that probably cost a thousand pound per letter. So it was, you know, it was it was a good investment for the people of Gateshead that desperately need additional funding. I really respect contemporary city city art. Love it. Yeah. So. Uh... I have to wrap this podcast up soon because I need to replace the horrible common John Lewis furniture we've got in this house. Uh, <laughs> finally, let's review the main event. It was Legado del Fantasma versus uh, MS Kushida, as they were introduced or dubbed themselves earlier on. And clearly, Kushida is a huge fan of Zach Gibson. Shoes off if you hate Gibson. She, he put shoes on because that's how much he bloody likes Zach Gibson. Uh, back in the wrestling boots, I'm sure uh, Cedric was slightly disappointed by that. But Sheeta uh, looked great in here. Ran by by it. Uh, clean, cleaned house. Uh, even held the right ropes open so MSK could dive through it and take him out. Uh, Legado del Fantasma fight back. Uh, Escobar power bombs Kushida through the announce desk. They really sell this. Kushida's getting checked on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, Lee gets pushed off the uh, the top rope. Carter's checking on Kushida. He gets booted in the face and then hoied into the steps. They're laid out basically. Kushida and uh, and uh, Nash Carter, and that leaves Wesley alone. He is trying his best. He does a flip and gets drop kicked out of midair. They triple team him. Uh, quick tags beat him up he's completely isolated uh, nice some nice double team moves as well in there from uh, from wild and uh, mendoza he eventually manages to, to to dodge everything get out of it escobar uh, crashes and burns on a splash lee finally makes it to his corner where nash carter has recovered he comes in gets cut off Kashida tries to make the save he gets given a phantom driver by escobar they hit their double team finisher uh on carter one two three and the show goes off the air with a dominant Logado del fantasma standing tall holding all the titles and looking great i thought michael hamplett 
Yeah, I mean, I can't question the commitment to this, considering, I mean, it's a retcon, ultimately, isn't it? Because the Garda del Fantasma were complete goons a little while ago, uh, and they were very obviously the third team in a triple threat at TakeOver. Mm. So it's it's possibly trying to shut the steel door after the horse has bolted, but it's admirable, at very least. Um, and in, it helped, obviously, this match was great. We, we knew it would be great. Um they, I think Cedric said this last week, it's bold to try and deliver like a firecracker trios match when the genre has now kind of come established and recognised as this AEW thing that where it's, it's been mastered. Didn't hit those levels, um, but those personally for me weren't my expectations. I got a great deal out of this. Um, you know, some would say go with the flow, some would say swim against the tide. Me, I like a bit of both. You know, I'm very much Gateshead side of the river. Um, <laughs> I heard it. And I got that from this there was parts of it where you did get that like wow that, like firecracker energy that oh this almost looks like a half decent guy trying to be ray phoenix and then it went into that kind of like that nxt very on the nose storytelling which i'm all right with too so i got like just about everything i need for the match even though it's a bit like the pete dunn problem you are trying very very hard admirably so to set up challenges that you've already beaten with an inch of their life when it mattered it, that sort of stuff is always going to be uphill, unfortunately. It's not particularly the fault of the wrestlers, but it's always uphill from a perception point of view. I like the match. I did like the match. I was shocked by how not unconvincing this was. The the Garda del Fantasma unit looked leagues beyond the three tosses that were just nonsensically battered by carrying cross that time. What an absolute... Oh, yeah stupid bit of booking that was but it's funny because i can tell by your reaction well like you've forgotten about that you forget yeah. about bollocks like that and the strength of performances like that we previewed this yesterday obviously um you know what gives a little bit more money than we need go back and listen to the preview on spotify itunes or wherever at this point um and we said like look there's either you completely kill off a cruiserweight division and act that just through their presence and their in-ring quality of late has transcended like their rubbish booking. Or you have to pin a champion and there's three to choose from. I thought this was really quite elegant in how they made that convincing and not just, ah, Christ, well, I guess they had to do it. I don't think of the people involved particularly well, but, you know, it's a means to an end. I thought it was really elegantly constructed in how they did this. Um, like a proper shield energy from Legado del Fantasma and how they picked apart this unit that just aren't as united as they are. Um, and I tell you what, the story worked so well, in my opinion, because I didn't really think it was a desperate reach, even though it kind of was. And one of the reasons, God damn it, why this worked when it had very, very little right to is because Wesley is un friggin' believable yeah. as a professional wrestler. Like, I think he's got the potential, based on his performance level throughout 2021, to be one of the best workers in the entire WWE operation. His, the timing of his comeback, the way he sold it, just the actual timing of his work in that last stand was unbelievable. He is sensational. And he elevated, like, functional, unconvincing booking into something that I totally bought. I thought he was phenomenal in a match that was merely very good. They did the thing that these NXT versions of hot action matches do where they just did a bit of WWE TV flavor sprinkled in the middle. And I don't know if it quite reached that exhilarating momentum where you're utterly just, uh, your mind's getting blown. I never reached that sensation. Um, there was still some excellent work and some, as I said, the, the succinct take here is uh, storytelling that resonated when it had absolutely no right to. Wesley, Jesus Christ, he's amazing. It's uh, it's some achievement. Like They're going to get you hype for the, the tag title match. And we've seen a different version of this already that theoretically was better. That triple threat was probably destined to be better than the, the, the just the two-on-two match. And yet they've kind of worked yeah, within one match into thinking, well, I need to see this just a straight tag match now. I need to see that, like the see if the Legado boys can actually do it against MSK on the, and they won't. But they they're giving you like thirst for like trying to fantasy book the best spots, even which I think is like it's some achievement really. As I said at the beginning, <laughs> ever since they stopped trying to compete with AEW and just moved to their own night, 
it's got a lot better on NXT and, and I really enjoyed this week's show and I'm excited to see next week's show and we've got AW Dynamite to look forward to tonight with a good night's sleep alongside it as well uh, let us know your thoughts on NXT on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE watch they can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet you can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick you can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, our preview later on today of AEW Dynamite, despite the fact that the real winner of the Wednesday Night Wars is apparently hockey. Uh, right, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to the Dudley Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 